Welcome to episode 1 of season 11 of Delving Into Dance. Before getting into this interview, a quick update. On the website, delvingintodance.com, there is a new initiative that's publishing written articles about dance from different people working in the industry, from dancers, choreographers, and other passionate dance lovers. This initiative has already been very popular, and it's really worth checking out if you're interested in all things dance. Now, for this new season of Delving Into Dance, this season is focusing on Australian-born dancers and dance makers living and working overseas. This first episode is with the incredible Daniel Dore. I caught up with Dan during a run of Thank You Very Much, choreographed by Claire Cunningham as part of Manchester International Festival in July. This was my all-time favourite work of the festival and probably the best show that I've seen in 2019. I started by asking when Dan started dance. Dance started for me um, when I was quite young. Um, My grandmother um, was a calisthenics choreographer. She, she used to choreograph all the graceful girls and my mum um, at one point was the national graceful girl champion um, so I was kind of always oh, I, I remember going into old dance halls when I was a small child um, sitting um, up on the stage watching them choreograph and dance. Um, so it's kind of always been around me. Um, and I saw a, um, a call out for young uh, performers when I was uh, living in Wyala, that's where I'm from, um, and joined a youth theatre company. And kind of going, oh yeah, I'll try this out. Um, I just loved it. What about it was, like, grabbed you or held you? I, I, I think at the time it helped me escape um, my not-so-great home life. Um, and gave me an outlet and a way to express myself and a way and to be in a space where I could see myself represented um, and and see other see other young people in a way embrace their camp and embrace their queerness even though I guess they weren't aware it was that at the time but, but to really, to really find a way of accessing that in a small um, regional city of 20,000 people. Just going, oh, well, there are other people like that in the world like me. And, and to go, okay, it feels like I've arrived somewhere. And so I think that that was the hook and just like, I can really relate to these people. I don't have to sit and talk about cars and motorbikes and their football scores, because I, I didn't care for any of that shit. 
and I'm just like, oh, these are people I can really chat to and really loving hearing the girls talking about going dress shopping or buying the right makeup for the shows or like, I really love that stuff and so that, that was really nice to kind of be around from that early age, I think it was 12 or 13 when I started, so just uh, yeah, felt like I was a part of something, I guess. A lot of people, particularly young queer, well, they're not young when they talk about it, but often talk about that finding the tribe or that outlet or being able to be themselves or yeah. express something that yeah. they didn't feel that they could in school or in sport or in other outlets. It's yeah. And it helped me to work out who I was or maybe who I wanted to be or might want to be. Because um, before I, I discovered dance and theatre, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I mean, I was plucking, oh yeah, I'll be a teacher. But that was because I was surrounded by teachers, you know, my whole life. And so, like, oh yeah, I'll just be one of those, it's fine. <laughs> um, but then kind of, this kind of opened it up to go, oh, there's other stuff. And like, oh, you get paid to do that? Um, so kind of, yeah, finding my people and starting to really choose my family even way back then and just go, no, these are the people I want to be surrounding myself with. Yeah, that choosing family is pretty, pretty important. Yeah. A pretty, pretty powerful moment when you realise you can yeah. actually pick the people yeah. you have in your life yeah. in that way. It's like, oh, I'm not stuck, I'm not stuck with, you know, yeah, I can choose my family, I'm not, I'm not stuck. Yeah. And that kind of relief to a 13, 14 year old um, who was realising he was having feelings that he was told that he shouldn't and that, that freedom and being told one thing and then going to theatre class and seeing so clearly another thing and just going, I know which one I'm going to sign up to. Oh. Yeah. So you started dance and you started thinking that that was going to be like a career. When was the moment, I guess, you kind of became a reality? The moment for me um, was when um, I danced with Restless Dance Theatre and Australian Dance Theatre in a collaboration um, called Vocabulary. Um, and it was the experience of going to do class with ADT and and it was my first taste of rigor and seeing what my body would do um, in those circumstances and what it was to really exploring different ways I could push my body 
and push my limitations and like what would happen if my body did flying low what would happen if you know and trying to learn these new practices and just going this this feels comfortable for me it's hard but I quite relished in that hard work because up until that point I feel even with my experience in time of restless my experience was like, like I'd make a phrase or something and then you kind of like oh yeah it's wonderful it's beautiful it's like keep working on it but but and when working with Gary he was like oh I'm just wondering if you could straighten your leg a bit more or I'm wondering if you could turn your foot out a bit more or try bending at the knee a bit more that will give you more stability so kind of approaching the body in a different way as opposed to your body's disabled I'm just going to let you do what it does actually then someone to go in and go no actually I'm going to see if I can get your body in this specific way um, to um, yeah so, so it challenged me in a different way and also working with Gary I'm just like oh choreographers aren't afraid of my body choreographers will go in and go actually I need it to be more like this what's a version we can work on where we can get you there um, so and that's where I was just like wow okay there, there is a place for me in this um, and um, I thought it took a lot of Yeah, courage for Gary to just, because I can always say, oh no, sorry Gary, my body doesn't do that, mate, just, it just doesn't, and then, so then it was cool, and we'd find another way and work, work through it to um, achieve a similar aesthetic or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then you moved to the UK to work with Kanduko. Yeah, I moved to the UK in 2010 work with Kenduko um, and that came at a point where I was almost ready to give dance away um, because I was finding it such a struggle in Australia with the landscape over there um, Landscape in terms of opportunity, in terms oh, of... I, I would say opportunity, um, because I... I in, a, in a way I found my experience in Australia a little soul-destroying, because I come off of amazing projects, and kind of very project-based, you know, like um, experience with ADT, and um, my time with Kate Champion and Force Majeure. Um, when that ended, I, I'd, I'd be so, so, so sad and so, so, so angry for a time because my, that stopped 
Monday morning, go down to Centrelink, um, re reapply for um, allowances and pensions. I'm just like, I, I've just done amazing things and now you're asking me to search for 15 jobs a week that I don't want to do. This is what I want to be doing, but the Australian government wasn't acknowledging the value in the arts being a job. Yeah, I was just like, I, I can't. I just, I just don't want this for myself. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I, I couldn't see from, there was a way for me in Australia to work full time for a company. Um, because we weren't there and we're not there yet. And that's fair enough. Sad, but fair enough. Um, um, and so I kind of went, okay, I've been following Kenduko for a long time. They'll give me that opportunity. So I applied to audition and got the job. Amazing. Yeah. And that's a full-time company. And that's a full-time company, yeah. And, um... Yeah, full-time, and, um... I kind of got there and, yeah, first day on the job I was learning two new shows and about to start making three new ones. And it's kind of what, what it was to be, yeah, to be in a rep company and to, and to learn movement and to that rigour I was talking about with Gary, to be applied and training and um, I was just like, Yes, this is this is what I was this is what I hungered for and what was missing in Australia and that's why I had to leave. Was it your first time living overseas? Um it it was. It was my first time. Um no actually that's a lie. I um lived in Tokyo um when I was fifteen for 12 months on exchange. Um, so did the whole exchange student thing because um, I studied Japanese at high school. And I said, I really want to go. And then this opportunity came up to apply for a scholarship. And so I got it and I went. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Can you still speak Japanese? I can, yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. Um, yeah. I'm losing it a bit now though, but it's still there somewhere in the depths of <laughs> in the recesses of my mind. Yeah. So in terms of like, obviously they're moving to the UK, working in a full-time company, like they must have also brought with it some challenges, right? Yeah, it, it, it did, um, absolutely, just going, okay, I'm moving in another country now. Um, but also, like, from my perspective as a disabled dancer at the time, I'm like, but fuck, it's Kanduko. Like, you know, it's like I moved for Kanduko. Yeah. Um, and it's just like I 
been watching things of theirs for years, just going, wow, one day, one day, one day, and I kept kind of telling myself, dangling that one day carrot in front of my face, and then actually going, no, today's the day I'm going to do, I'm going to do it, so kind of remembering that kind of outweighed any any difficulty or struggle I was having um, living in London um, because I, I just thought what was the alternative like I was kind of had that kind of balance at the end of, other end of the scale and me at the Centrelink queue and just going on to <laughs> London is where I want to be, thank you very much. Um, so, so it was really no comparison and, and just kind of giving myself a reality check and a good talking to on days where it was hard and challenging and just like, this is why you came, this is why you moved over because you wanted this rigour, you wanted this challenge. You know, this is what you told Stephen and Pedro in your interview. You know, come on, Dan. <laughs> this is what you wanted. You know, so that that is what held me there and held me here. A lot of Australian artists talk about something that is unique to them from either their training or what they learned or the Australian climate or environment, do you feel like there was anything that you brought that was uniquely Australian, for want of a better turn of phrase? I like to not rush things, and I, and I like to, um, I like to find my own time and way through things, and I've built my own relationship to time and space, and that feeds in very much the work I do. Um, we call it crypt time. Um, I'm not sure who coined the phrase first, <laughs> um, but it wasn't me. Um, and crypt time is just allowing things to take the time they take. And I, I don't get stressed about time. I'm just like, it's like, there's no point. And so, so I love to really take my time. And just because it does ordinarily take me more time than the average bear to do things, I kind of see, start to see the world in a very different way because I've given myself time and permission to look up and see the world around me and see how others are uh, see how others are choosing to interact with the world and, and that's something yeah very special that I I managed to or I I fight to hold on to. Um, I like to create time and space in my day and I get anxious and frustrated when I'm made to hurry um, or when I'm on somebody else's relationship to time and I'm like 
like the holiday of the time that you're in control of that. No one else is control in control of your time except you. You're in control of that. And people are like, fuck. It's true, but hurry up. And so we've, we've got this false, I feel we've got this false sense of what time is and that it's just happening to us, but it's not. Like we're in full control of that time. And like in London it used to make me laugh and people would miss the tube. Like there's one in a minute. I can see the headlights from here, it's fine. I literally have that conversation all the time with people. It's like, why are you running to the tube? There's one right behind it. You can see on the board that there's another one coming. If there was one, if the next one was half an hour or an hour, sure. I can kind of understand why you might want to run for it. It's one minute, it's two like minutes. Twenty minutes in Adelaide, but you have to wait two hours for a fucking bus. <laughs> it's so crazy. They would not be able to cope. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it just, it just like, oh, yeah, just not, yeah, so time and space would be the key thing for me, mm. allowing that, allowing that room, and I just refuse to get anxious about it, and get angry at people who make me feel anxious about it, because it's not. It's not their right. But if they're if they're choosing their own relationship to time and space, then that's that's theirs. And I respect that they want to run themselves ragged, that's fine. But that's not what I want to sign up to, thank you very much. And does that inform your practice and in terms of how you think about movement as well? It does, it does, it, it really informs everything I do. I would say it's probably the core of my practice. Um, just really, yeah, the thing of things take the time they take and, and not to, not to rush that and to notice the time things take and to allow things to have space around them. Um, so sometimes I'm accused of my work being quite slow because it's up against the expectation of someone else's time and someone seeing me get dressed over a period of 10 minutes going, oh yeah, but I could have done that in three. Like yes, because you have a different relationship to time, um, and your body is not my body. Um, uh, so a lot of those, yeah. So I come up against a lot of those conflicting expectations of what, what that's ability based, and also purely based on choice. Because, like, yeah, but you could take 10 minutes to get dressed. 
itchy toes, but you just choose not to. Whereas I've chosen to take my time to get to it. And I'd like you to see this now. I'm quite interested in seeing what that does to your body when you see me take the time and how that frustrates you. Like, that's why I'm showing you this. I, I find that quite fun. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to watch me do this because you probably don't take the time in your own life to do this. Um, and I know it probably frustrates the hell, uh, hell, hell out of you, but good. You know, we're going to be in this together. It's a safe space I'm creating, so we're going to do this together. And it is going to take 10 minutes for me to get dressed. And not all performance has to be fast, which I think I don't know. Sometimes there's an expectation that it has to move quickly or it's got to have a pace to it. Well, why? There's no reason why it should. Yeah, it, it's just because we're so... I think everything is, has just become so saturated now. And everything has, has you know, the Starbucks coffee cups kind of tell us we're busy. The, the packaged sandwiches tell us we're busy. The, the meal deal lunches tell us we're busy. So consumerism tells us we're busy. We're not busy. We're told we're busy. So then we're like, okay, I'm busy. So I've got to, you know, when actually we're, we're no busier than we were, you know. 20 years ago, we're no busier than we were 50 years ago. Yeah, we're still the same. We've just got different things around us now, and and that's all that's changed. But we're living in this false sense of time because we're told that we're meant to be busy. And busy becomes something that people use often I feel to, as if they're like important, like if you're not busy you're not important or you know, or when you ask somebody how are you? I'm really busy. I'm really busy. It's like that's not an emotion. Are you overwhelmed busy? Are you exhausted busy? Yeah. Are you satisfied? <laughs> like what, like yeah. what, it's just, it's like a catchphrase that doesn't actually, when you unpack it, have any emotion about exactly. how, feeling. There's no feeling in that. How are you feeling busy? It's not it's not a feeling. Busy is not a feeling. It's not a state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, kind of my response now, people go, I'm so busy about what doing here then. You know, if you're so busy, why aren't you at work? Or why aren't you, you know, go and be busy then. <laughs> if you're busy, what you need to do to be less busy, you know, how can I help? Like, I almost feel like people saying, I'm busy, is like a cry to help. It's like, how, how would, you know, what can I do to help with that? Because it sounds like you're overwhelmed and you need to change some things in your life. Crypt time.
Poop time. <laughs> Hinge video poop time. Let me prescribe. He goes to poop time. So, thank you very much. Which we saw the, which I saw the other day. You're telling me you've been working on it for five years. Started five years ago. Um, working extra. Um, the, I think we spent a week together with initial ideas around what it would be for um, a group of disabled artists to start delving into Elvis and that world. What I found really interesting about the work was that idea of impersonation and the different ways people impersonate a figure mm. who and the, 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 the replication of impersonation has changed, re recreating has changed what that original was. And uh, yeah, I don't really know what the question is, but it was just something that really kind of struck me in the work was that sense of impersonation. And then um, I guess each of you had a narrative around impersonation or mm. having to fit into a particular mm. idea of how a body should move in space mm. or what a physio wants you to do or whether mm. you should wear high heels or like all these kind of expectations that are not, yeah, that are, that are somebody else's. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really enjoyed working with Claire Cunningham uh, who made the work. Um, and her kind of, well, realising it was quite political in the kind of, in, in trying to be somebody else. It's a political act. And in my opinion, a bit of a violent act on yourself to kind of, making my, and kind of attributing that to my experience of physio, kind of making myself be some, or training my body in a way it just would never be, could never be. And kind of with this kind of physio as a way to be less disabled or to fix me or to make me better um, and, and, and finding those links between that and the Elvis tribute world and, and that, that was really clear for us in the process just going oh okay We've actually been told we're going to try to be like someone <laughs> our whole lives. And it's going, actually, this work is where it stops. That we're not going to do that anymore. And Claire found beautiful, poetic ways to say that. To go, no, we're actually going to be ourselves and we're not going to apologise for who we are and for taking up space in the world anymore, we're just not. And we're not going to try to be less disabled, we're just not. 
or less crip. But no, no, not anymore. And it's quite phenomenal that a work about Elvis tribute artists can even bring me to that point. To go, actually, it's, it's less about the tribute artists and more about us and kind of what we've been trying to do to fit in and make people feel comfortable with who we are. And that has to stop. Sounds incredibly liberating. Oh, it's incredible. It is. It's liberating, empowering, sexy. It's very sexy work. Um, and, and to really, to really feel like we own it, or I definitely feel like I, I own my part of the show, just going, yeah, this is, this is me, this is my body, this is, you know, in the work I wear a pair of short shorts, and, and I'm just like, it's taken me a long time to be comfortable to show my body off in that way because of all the shame I've accrued um, over the years. And just to acknowledge that, but also to start letting that shit go. Just go, no, this is my body. Fuck you, this is my body. And I'm not going to apologise for it anymore. There's a moment in the piece where you talked about making your physio do obstacle courses that he would set up for yeah. you. Uh, first, because you were so aware that actually your body was always the one being judged or yeah. looked at by other yeah. people. Um, yeah, that really kind of stuck out to me as actually a moment of actually the body is in space, seen and observed by other people in ways that they don't have that yeah. understanding or it's not their embodied experience. That for me really stood out, just mm. actually how people expect the body to be something for them. Yeah, exactly. And kind of, Vicky touches on this in the work, but kind of, who are we doing it for? Mm. Mm. Yeah. What are we doing it for? And kind of applying that to performance as well, though. Yeah, and in my own practice, who do I do it for? Do I do it for me? I think so. But I know I also do it for the audience. Otherwise, why do it? For lots of kind of, you know, um, questions around, yeah, yeah, performative practices and aware that through my life, yeah, like when I walk down the street that's performative because of the way I looked at and it's performance <laughs> and, and I've always been performing, I've always been on but haven't into that and, and then kind of getting angry that and pissed off that you know I'm always always being stared at and, and judged 
she's compared and then the and now I'm getting to the point of just letting that go and going, well, let them look. Let, just let them look. Just let them be in their uncomfortability or their, or their comfortability or whatever they're experiencing. Don't. Yeah. I guess trying to find ways to kindly not make their experience of my body wrong and to just go, okay, that's happening, cool. I still know who I am, that's fine, they're just unaware or whatever or they're curious or... It's because I'm fabulous. It's because I'm hot. <laughs> yeah. looking because I'm hot and just kind of having that in my head just to go, you know, yeah, actually might not be looking at me because of my crypness. There are other things you probably looking at, you know, and coming to that awareness too, and that kind of not making it so lev heavy and loaded. Um, because that, that was quite a weight for a number of years, and I'm finally starting to lift that, that weight from my shoulders. It must be truly amazing. It's, yeah, it's empowering. Just to go, I'm not going to carry your shit. You're going to carry it. Because the moment I kind of say something or speak up, I take it on. And it's like, I don't care about your shit. And I'm not the one. I'm not going to be the one to educate you that I'm just heading out or I'm just having dinner so I'm not going to be the one to educate you about why I'm drinking wine in the store. Yeah. I'm just not. Thanks. Have a nice night. <laughs> a lot of other things happening in my life right now. <laughs> and, and, and also not because me saying something kind of makes it an issue and me saying something like kind of you know me drinking wine through a straw you know if it's just happening and nobody says anything it starts to become the norm because nobody you know somebody's gawping at it but I just carry on chatting as if you know because it's normal for me and then that person goes away going, oh, okay, that happened. It was a thing, but I didn't make it an issue. And I think age as well is coming into play with that. And just not giving a fuck. <laughs> so, got bigger fish to fry than trying to change the perception of the person I'll never ever see again. Like, can't be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I call, and I speak to that as kind of like choosing my battles, like going, you know, and a friend of mine said to me once, quite recently actually, she said, Dan, you don't have to change the world every day, you know, you don't have to be an advocate every day, just, you know, just pick your battles take yourself some slack 
you know, I don't, I don't have to be a change maker every day I set, set foot outside the house. I just don't. When you're having a glass of wine, you I can have your glass of wine. I just don't want to change the world right now, thanks. <laughs> so you've stayed in the UK. Is UK, the UK very much home now? or? It is, yeah. I've, um, I built a life for myself here and um, networks and connections and so it's very much home. Um, and I still go back to Australia um, about once, sometimes twice a year. Because um, uh, I've been working with the lovely Sarah Van Basalo on um, with Memoration um, as the Associate Director. Um, building that in Sydney um, and so that's taken me back to Australia a few times over the past five years um, so so it's not it feels great to be based in the UK but kind of starting to branch back out to Australia again reconnect with people and, um, Reconnecting on my terms, I guess, which feels really nice. What do you mean by your terms, like in terms of...? Yeah, it's like feeling, because it, when I was living in Australia I felt trapped and isolated and was now, I, I, I guess it means I've, I've got space around that now, I'm not, I'm not locked into that now and also I've, I've got more of a sense of, uh, well I've got a truer sense of who I am in the world now, um, whereas there was a lot of, so, so I'm much better at calling people out on stuff. And that's what I mean about my own terms, actually. It's like, in Australia, when people would say something, I kind of go, oh, well, maybe that's wrong, I shouldn't be doing it in this way. Um, that was me then. But me now would actually be calling the mouth on that and, and going, oh, you know. No, and again, not, not giving I see it if they're kind of laughing at me on the dance floor or whatever. Um, just <laughs> reminds me when I was in Sydney, I think last year or a couple of years ago, they had uh, a thing called. like blind dancing or dark dancing and it was a room they switched off the lights it was very low lit so that people didn't feel judged for the way they danced like that would only happen in Australia like, like kind of as a culture I think Australia is quite judgy and quick to make things wrong or quick to make things that are different to us wrong. 
and I think that was my main struggle. Um, was just like, I'm not like you and I'll never be like you, so why are you, yeah, why are you behaving this way? And kind of me just calling, calling that out by letting them be them. And just go, okay, if you want to pull up into your own asshole and slowly die, that's, you know, good luck, mate. <laughs> but, you know, it's, yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not gonna help dig yourself out of that one. <laughs> you know, you're on your own. You're on your own, in your own asshole. I'm just gonna do my thing, leave me alone. You know, this body does not give you permission to come in. Just doesn't. And, and that's what I'm realizing. It doesn't give anyone permission to say anything, to touch me, to do any of those things. Just doesn't. I wouldn't do it to you, why are you doing it to me? Stop it. <laughs> what are you working on at the moment, or what's in the kind of pipeline, or things that I guess are interesting you, or...? Um, I'm working on a new work called The Dandor Show, because it's all about me. Um, Sounds like a chat show. Sorry? Sounds like a chat show. A chat show, a Dandor Show. Um, uh, Looking at uh, my relationship to Christmas, to queerness, and uh, power and shame. Um, and how all of those things um, intersect in my relate in my um, in my relationship to self, and how they how they complement each other, but how they also fight against each other, and kind of how I hold on to those terms I was talking about earlier and just going, no, I'm not going to make you feel uh, I'm not going to let you make me feel less powerful or powerless and I'm not um, and so it's a show about how I take ownership over that and over my body how I, for the first time own my body and forget this is me and these are the ways you made me feel like I've lost power over myself and how how I get that power back and how I maintain that power. Sounds sort of like really cool work. Yeah, it's uh, it's um it's therapeutic. <laughs> Um, um, and to really, because as an artist I was quite scared to make work about my quickness, um, because I always thought it felt indulgent, um, or that I didn't have the right to, um, 
But now I'm kind of like, no, this is time to actually interrogate my relationship. Like, how do I feel about my Christmas? Where, where, where is that um, for me now to kind of talk about that and to go, yeah, sure, I get, I get that you, the audience, struggle with that, but I've also been struggling with it. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I have ableism built within me too, and I've been calling myself out. And it's, Acknowledging the different ways I've started to call myself out on my own ableism, just to go, I understand because I do it too, doesn't make it right, but let's work together to not do that anymore, and kind of coming to an agreement that we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to stop making this me feel bad. And that goes for me as well. I'm going to stop making myself feel bad. Amazing. <laughs> What's your process for making a work? Like what? Like obviously that. I mean that that's one work, but there's other works. Like what? I guess what's your preferred way of making a work, or like? I find my approach changes with each work I make because it, it needs, obviously needs something different. Um, so I found myself making different ways depending. Um, so for the Dan Doyle show, I'm working with a theatre director, uh, Mark Morn, uh, who's based in London, and so taking a more kind of theatre approach. Um, to it, um, and of course there's going to be dance embedded within, um, but very much focused on telling stories and sharing my experience. Um, so that being a very different flavour um, to my other works, because, and again, I guess it goes back to, I guess you could say a thread you know, my work is quick time. Um, so really finding what that is inside of each new approach and feeding that in and that, yeah, that revealing itself through the work in different ways. Um, so, so that in a way informs the aesthetic of the work. So Aesthetically, I think there's something about rhythm and pace in my work as opposed to... And that, that informs the look of the work as opposed to... Um, and, and of course my body is always going to have the same aesthetic and moving the way it does. So, that, that, that's the link, I would say, in, in, all my, in all the work I, 
make. Yeah, it um, because it started um with me looking at inspiration porn and kind of looking at that. Uh, it kind of struck me that I was performing in Kanduko and audience members would quite often come up to me after the show and go, oh dang, you're such an inspiration. And like, I'm like, yeah, but I was with other dancers as well. And like, kind of going, the, you know, I guess, that, oh, the work's inspiring. I get that. But then when they come and they get your really inspiring. I'm like, how do you know? You've just seen me on stage for an hour. How do you know that I'm inspiring? <laughs> I got out of bed this morning. Uh, I had my I, breakfast. I, 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 <laughs> did, I did get out of bed, that's true. <laughs> um, but, but it kind of started from that place of just wanting to call that out and kind of going, fuck you! Um, but then kind of, and that work started four years ago. Um, and then kind of when we came back to it, kind of going, actually it's not, it's not about saying fuck you. It's the thing I was talking about if everyone comes with their own experience of the world. Oh. So going, and sharing my experience of myself and moments of those interactions without finding a way to not make that wrong and leaving it with the audience to decide if it's wrong or not and then kind of tracking their own moral compasses in a way. But what do I feel about this? Is this okay? Is this not okay? And but I think if we get so fuck you show, I'll just push people away and that's not, um, the, the message is too important to, to do that and just, I think, I think the opportunity is wasted if we go down that take or go down now kind of the whole oh I know what you're all thinking I'm disabled, poor me, la 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 I don't want to go down that route because I think that, that could be quite on the nose and quite damaging. Just like, well, how do I know that they're, they're not thinking that? Because otherwise it wouldn't come in the first place. So why, why am I telling my audience that? My audience is there because they want to support me. And so, so there's a love, you know, acknowledging there's a love there. Because what I do with people that or a curiosity, love or curiosity, if they don't know my work, then there's the kind of a, that's worth nurturing, as opposed to going, fuck you all, we're fucking, you just paid 20 quid for a ticket. I'm not going to say fuck you, because you're obviously supporting me, because you're here. So it's like, kind of, this is what's happening, this is about me, this is my, my kind of, what I've been struggling with in the moment where I felt not powerful and it's a show about stepping into my own power and coming into my own power and what that is and that being something that is relatable 
and because we all in different ways I'm sure have experienced losses of power over in our lives. But how do we how does that make us feel? And how do we reclaim that? And how do we make that how do we build a force field around that and around ourselves without isolating ourselves completely and being a hermit somewhere because it's all too much. Yeah, how do we how do we be with each other in our in our powerlessness and in our powerfulness? How do we be together? You know, support support that and help others make make each other feel powerful without because you know, like, what happens is it's like I'm going to take your power away so that I can be powerful. So that we're switching hats. Whereas we just need to make more hats so that everybody can feel powerful. And that's what we're not doing. We're just taking power from each other to make ourselves feel better. When actually we're not realizing that just behind us there's somebody else ready to take that hat from. Uh, yeah. So hierarchical. It's so, so hierarchical. Doesn't need and, to be. And insidious. And, and we're not acknowledging that. So yeah, this is a show that's going to acknowledge that. Come on people. You know, I'm not making you wrong, but looking at the systemic structures in our culture and society, we need to make a few changes here. <laughs> Quite a few. Quite a few <laughs> changes here. Um, so that we can readdress this balance. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find out more about this episode with links to a range of other interesting episodes at delvingintodance.com. Delving Into Dance operates from donations from you, the listener. So if you want to support spreading the message of dance further and further, please do give generously. We also acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria and the Australian Government through the Australia Council, its arts funding and advocacy body. Until next time, take care.